Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, my friends. My name is Adam, and today I am talking to myself, but I am also talking to a very special friend, uh, a new friend over the past month. Uh, he is somebody who is uh, one of the co-founders alongside myself and others of the Cares A Lot Creators Network. He is a man who runs a D&D live stream called The Mists Awaken. He is the master of mind webs, Ian Sharp, a.k.a. Ian Flat. Welcome to the show, Ian. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Adam. Thank you so much. You know how long it took me to write that? <laughs> I was really trying hard to come up with something fun. <laughs> master of mind webs. The master of mind webs. Oh, uh, it's hard to illustrate that without people actually seeing it, but it's a thing of beauty. It's a thing of beauty. If you don't know what mind mup is, go look up that and see the craziness that is what Ian can keep track of in there. It's absolutely bonkers. Um, but, uh, but uh, Ian, I'm super excited to have you here. Um, so um, before we get into kind of the talk that we want to have, you know, because uh, by now the listeners usually know that when I have a, when I have a guest on, we are, um, we're usually, uh, we're usually getting into some more kind of deep topics. Uh, mm-hmm. But today I kind of want to just get to, uh, 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 kind of get to know you a little bit before we get into those things. So, uh, would you kindly tell us a little bit about, um, you know, the, 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 the mist awaken and kind of what your, you know, I know that's like one of your biggest projects right now. So kind of, can you tell us a little bit more about that before we continue? Yeah. So about three months ago, actually three months ago, tomorrow, as of this, uh, interview of this recording, kind of dating the podcast. Sorry, Adam. Uh, that's okay. Me and a few friends of mine from college and a few um, colleagues across the U.S., uh, we started a Curse of Strahd game on Twitch. Um, I've always loved running D&D, and after watching things like Critical Role, like High Rollers, like uh, The Adventure Zone, I kind of thought, well, I think I can do that, and... It has turned into a labor of love. It has turned into one of my favorite games to run with my favorite player base. Um, I've enjoyed every step of the way, and it's slowly turning into something that I'm very proud of. Not only the show itself, but where we can go with it. Um, It's turning into this thing of where everyone else that's a part of the show is wanting to put in effort to create more content whether that be uh, another twitch show whether that be some instagram content whether that be twitter content it's become this small collection of creative minds and with the pandemic the way that it is it's become a creative outlet for the cast members not only in game but out of game as well yeah it's 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 nice to escape from one world you know that kind of sucks to go into one that's a lot more fun and exciting i think well my players might say that this world also sucks because they're in barovia <laughs> but that's <laughs> that's besides the point that's another conversation right <laughs> right um by the way before we continue i think just for the listeners and for you ian i don't know if our recording software, I think I might be picking up the wrong microphone and I can't change it while we're recording. So I'll try to fix it the best I can later, y'all. So if you notice something's a little bit weird, 
that's my bad. And I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's my bad. I think it's picking up the wrong mic. Um, but anyway, um, but yeah, so, um, so, uh, how long ago again, did you start this thing? What was the official kickoff? We started streaming on September 11th and I didn't realize until after the fact of our actual starting date, uh, as a moment of American importance, uh, it wasn't on my radar. Uh, I was so tunnel visioned as to actually starting. We had a session zero about two weeks prior and gathering cast members a week before that, maybe I think a few weeks before that. Um, but yeah, it's been almost three months now and right. we just hit affiliate on Twitch. Uh, we just uh, started our Instagram account. We have 175 followers on Twitter. So it's, it, it, Right now, three months in, it's feeling pretty good. Yeah, man. I was about to say, I don't know if I realized that it was that, um, that it was that, or that, that it, was, it was, it's still kind of, I don't want to call it in its, in its infancy, but like, it's still pretty young, uh, all things considered. That's pretty awesome to, to get that far in such a, a short amount of time. Uh, really, really cool, man. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Like, seriously, congrats. That's awesome, man. Uh, uh, so, so you got this, you got this, uh, the Mist Awaken going, uh, without spoiling too much before we go on to some other t- subjects, uh, why can we, can you tell us why it's called the Mist's Awaken? What does that mean? So I don't want to spoil the story too much, but as much as I love the module Curse of Strahd, I like thinking of things in a larger sense, uh, and I changed the lore of Barovia and Ravenloft to that a little bit detract, not detract is the wrong word, a little bit distant, but still relative, uh, relevant to that of uh, 3.5's version of Barovia and Ravenloft. Uh, so I, I can, without spoiling it too much, mm-hmm. um, Strahd is not the only driving force of the story, of the overall narrative. There's something gotcha. else. And the players and the characters, I think, are starting to realize that. Gotcha. Um, do you wanna do you wanna give a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a teaser for for listeners who might be a little ignorant to things like D and D about uh, what Strahd or who Strahd is? Just so the non-nerds. Yeah, yeah. So Barovia is a what's called a demiplane within a an overall plane of what's called the Shadowfell, or one of the many planes or dimensions of the Dungeons and Dragons multiverse. And its overlord is a vampire by the name of Strad von Zarevich. Now Strad von Zarevich has been around in D D canon for a very long time and has a lot of roots in trip in typical uh, Dracula and Nosferatu uh, vampire origins. Um, I remember I was watching uh, Dracula with someone not too long ago and like the early, early Dracula movie. And I saw a lot of things like, Oh, that's exactly in curse of Strahd or yes, that you can see that parallel in how wizards has written vampires into their into their D canon um yeah i mean that's about okay. it without giving away too much of the actual module itself gotcha okay um 
So that's a little bit of a of a, of a teaser for you guys. Uh, I definitely, uh, even if it's not something that you think that you would normally be into, uh, if you like really good storytelling and you like really, really kind of well thought out, I mean, I think you'll hear as we continue to talk to Ian that like he's a very well versed and he thinks like he's he's a thinker like me, but in a way that like I can't keep organized. And uh, you know, it it definitely tells in his storytelling. Uh, so if you uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of throw all the call outs at the end of the show, but like, I definitely think it's worth checking out. Um, even if you're a little unsure about, you know, I don't know if I'm really into D and D or if I'm into those kind of things, just trust me, give it a try. I think you'll find it to be, uh, quite, quite an entertaining ride so far. Um, so, um, but you know, you're ready to get a little bit deeper into, into some other non D and D related subjects. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. All right, man. Um, so, uh, you, um, Let's just kind of get right into. It. I'm just going to ask the question. You, you and I were talking before we got into, before we kind of settled on this, and um, you uh, told me a little bit about what it was like growing up as a Jewish man in America, and uh, th- that is something that I cannot relate to, and that is something that I have never really had the opportunity to talk to somebody about in depth. So I was wondering if you could maybe kind of elaborate further on that, like, sort of like what you and I talked about, but you know, little, let's let's go a little deeper into that. What what was that like for you? Well. Okay. Um, well, it's really strange. I was thinking about this the other night, um, and it's weird looking back that my normal as a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old was different than everyone else's. Um, we had Shabbos dinner every Friday night. We went to high holidays. Uh, we went to services every Saturday morning, and I understand that a lot of other religious uh, organizations and religious followings uh, have their, you know, their own Sabbath on Sundays and all that kind of stuff. But it was really strange, like growing up thinking, well, do I want to go to services or do I want to start soccer? Because that was a choice I had to make. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really strange, like saying things in Hebrew to other, you know, five-year-olds. And they said to me, like, what does that mean? And I just thought, you know, that's what, that's what you say. Um, It's strange when thinking that, you know, America in itself is so Christian centric and that you don't even think about it. Like Christmas is a national holiday, Mm -hmm. but it's also a Christian one. Um, and that's the whole, one of the holiest days in the Christian in the Christian, uh, religion along with Easter, but those are also nationally recognized yet. I still, I still needed to request, uh, school and work off for something like Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur and yeah. Passover, three very important holidays in the Jewish tradition. I didn't know about Jesus. I didn't know who Jesus was until I was six years old. Is that right? Yeah. I remember having a conversation with my cousin um, on my dad's side, who's Christian. Uh, we were playing basketball out in uh, behind our grandparents' house. And I remember he turned to me and said, do you know who Jesus is? And I said, no. Like, who's what? who is Jesus? And he said, he's kind of like God's sidekick. And, you know, to a six-year-old, that, <laughs> to a six-year-old, that's really funny. And, like, the imagery in my head was that of, like, Batman and Robin, but, right. you know, with a G on the chest 
and a yeah. J. So <laughs> Yeah, that's quite the fun imagery there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I've been confused about Easter. I remember being confused about Easter as a concept um, when I was really young, like in elementary school talking about like the Easter bunny, but they leave eggs. That's strange. Yeah. Especially to like a six-year-old or seven-year-old. Um, so that was like my normal growing up of kind of being on the outside and saying, oh, why do I need to get special permission for living my life? Whereas everyone else doesn't need that. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I never really thought about that. Yeah. And it gets, it gets even weirder. It gets even weirder. Like um, when I got older, I heard things like, Oh, you're Jewish. Say something in Hebrew or looking down or they looked at me and said, Oh, you're Jewish. So you're uh, and they looked down to my crotch and say, so you're circumcised. Mm. Um, I remember having to prove that I was Jewish by saying or like being almost bullied into singing prayers um, into kind of like prove that I am different and they, people just wouldn't accept that I was. And then once that was proven, it was perpetuated. There's this idea that I have something and I'm, I am something that not everyone else is, but no one can just tell, tell by looking at me. I pass as everyone else in society. I am a cis, I'm a white cishet man, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, I'm, I am different. But once people find out about that, you definitely can see the, you can definitely see some prejudice. You can see whether or not they, if they value you now. And Mm -hmm. I've definitely had friendships and relationships put into question once they found out about my difference and it, hmm. and once that happens it hurts a lot i mean did you find that like that um that was mostly based on their own religious belief or something else entirely like with your particularly like the friends that you struggled with i mean i guess both I think to, to understand that there has to be an understanding of the history of anti-Semitism, mm-hmm. and it one of the most common things I heard growing up was, "Oh, so your people killed Jesus, or mm-hmm. you you are a Christ killer," and mm-hmm. that's not entirely true there is and i can be speaking completely from a uh, different perspective but as i understand it there is a lot and there is a history of religious propaganda around christianity and judaism that's no doubt that's not talked about and that is so deep in uh in, deeply ingrained into our society, not even a Christian society, but just as like a Western society that is, it's, it's accepted that the Jewish people killed Jesus or um, Jesus went against the Christian, uh, Jesus went against the Jewish faith 
for a long time, Christianity was a sect of Judaism. And they, right. I, mean, I mean, forgive me for, for interrupting, but is it, is, as I understood it, I've, like, I'm not, I'm not like a studier of this. I, I, I didn't really attend any, you know, I, I know just what I've heard, but wasn't, wasn't Jesus himself a, a man who was Jewish identifying as Jewish? Yes. Um, now I'm not a rabbi. I am not a student of religion. So my sources could be different and pardon me, uh, yep. could be, uh, biased, but as I understand it, um, there has been a large prejudice of the Christian faith towards the Jewish faith for a long period of time, um, dating back to the Middle Ages and before then. Um, mm. Like, for instance, um, it, I remember in world history, we talked about uh, the F word or feudalism. Mm -hmm. uh, as my teacher would have called it. And it wasn't until I did my own research that Jewish people, they didn't exist within the feudal system in Europe. Hmm. They existed outside the feudal system in the same kind of vein that merchants, traveling merchants did. Right. Uh, th so they were not allowed to uh, be farmers they weren't allowed to engage in regular trade. They weren't allowed to be nobles. Um, they existed outside. Um, so you, you look at things like, uh, let's take a look at like feudal England. Um, there were uh, decrees that by in, there were world decrees in like, 1290 by Edward the first where Jewish people were the, were the subjects of the King and subjects to the whim, whim of the King. Mm -hmm. um, now that has its own, you know, problems in and of itself, but it also had to certain freedoms. Um, but the church at, at the time outlawed what's called ursary or money lending. Money lending is another term for it. And so okay. a lot of Jewish people, because they didn't really have the room for jobs and in the Jewish faith, money lending wasn't considered illegal in the Christian faith. It was, that's how they made their money. Now at the same time, they had to, because there were so many demonizations of the Jewish people that Christ killer was a normal thing. People said to them, um, the whole idea of the blood libel, or um, killing Christian kids for Passover was a very common rumor um, that the common folk would outwardly express their hatred. So the church said, and by extension, the king said, we can protect you Jewish people if you pay the taxes for it. But we they couldn't work. Pay for, pay for their own protection. Yeah, I was about to say, yet they didn't have any money coming in. Right. So how do you make money without a job? You right, operate yeah. outside the system. Right. So what ended up happening is that Jewish people would end up with a lot more capital than something like the church or the common folk. And it looked like the Jewish people were stealing money. And then by that time, uh, it's, well, now the Jewish people are these money hoarding people, but we had to, we had to pay off 
the protection or we would just be lynched in the streets. Right. So at, at that point, many different things happened. Uh, there was the, uh, the exile from England that happened. There was the, uh, that happened uh, under King Henry the third. There were things like the uh, annexation of Jewish people in France um, that led to a lot of their slaughter during the first crusades. Um, there were things like the, where, what was it? Um, being, uh, the, being scapegoats of the, of the black death and 900 people being burned alive in, Stra- in Strasbourg. Mm. This idea of this demonization for so long has led to so many what are called programs in Europe. And like all, modern day. Modern well no uh we're still talking like middle ages, but a okay. lot of those attitudes towards Jewish people as that that was a side effect from the church mm-hmm. led to things like the Holocaust eventually. Mm. And so many people will say Jewish people talk about the Holocaust too much, but you have to understand that we went from having 17 million people in our faith to 11 million. We had, we tried to escape uh, Europe. We tried to leave before it got really bad. we tried to go to the U S we tried to go to um, places like Australia, places like England and Everywhere else just turned us away hmm. because they didn't want the money grabbers. They didn't want people to screw over their economy in their eyes. Right. It's so when you grow up with that kind of mindset of the world has a history of hating you just for what you are. But you're able to hide it because it's not visible. It makes you want to hide a lot of yourself because you're so scared of what the world is going to think of you when you do show a certain side of yourself. Right. Did you find that at any point uh, as you were growing up, like was there a watershed moment where you just said like, this is it, this is who I am. Or did you find that there were times that you just felt like you had to hide some of that based on your experiences? Like just even as a kid, um, what was that? Was there a transition at all? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now the things I talked about were things from, uh, 80 years ago, right. six, 70 years ago. Um, we have gotten better since then. Um, in some way, shape, or form, we've we have uh, places where Jewish people are able to ex- explore their identity and think, well, what does what does being Jewish mean to me? Right. Uh, and out and uh, camp was one of those places. Um, Jewish summer camp is a almost like like a, a different kind of rite of passage for a Jewish kid, where it's a place that you go in the summer and you get away from everything and you get to be a kid without that fear of thinking what is everyone else going to think of me Mm. and that was a haven for myself 
So uh, what? How old? How old are you usually? Like when when you do that? Is that something that you do every year, or is that just like like the one thing you do when you reach a certain age? Uh, yeah. Uh, they have programs across the United States for kids like ten through eighteen years old. You can go every summer if you want. Okay, um, cool. So for a long time, my sister and I we went to the same summer camp for oh gosh five years and five years in a row. And That's it was a vacation, huh? Oh man. <laughs> um, it was, it was the best time to be a kid. It was the best place to be a kid. At least to be a Jewish kid. Right. Yeah. I had no idea that was a, I mean, I know that, sound, that sounds like really ignorant to say a lot, but to say like, I didn't, I had no idea that was Jewish summer camp. You know, I just, I guess like, again, like you said earlier with like the way that things are presented in like a more Christian heavy universe that like, you know, I, my brain just thought, well, summer camp is summer camp. Like there's band camp and there's summer camp. Like I mean, <laughs> what would be the difference, you know? But yeah, I, I guess I hadn't really, you know, this is very much news to me right now. Um, you know, and, and judging from the, the perspective that you have shared about it, you know, I, I, I imagine there are probably a lot of other kids that also felt the same way. You oh know? yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Um, the friends that I met when I was 11 years old, I still talk to today and I'm 27. Did you, uh, was that something, was it more of an escape or was like from the people that ran it, did they ever talk about any of those things? Or was it just, was the whole purpose of it to get away from even having to think about those differences and those struggles? Oh no, it was definitely a place to grow up. It was definitely a place where we talk. I, I shouldn't speak to that. As you get older and within the, within the camp and within the program, they do talk about the more taboo subjects of being Jewish. Like I remember we talked about the Holocaust one year. We uh, talked about like Israel and it's uh, how can I put this standpoint on the current war in the Middle East. And that was always a very interesting and sensitive talk, uh, sensitive topic to talk about. Uh mm-hmm there's always this air of exploring your identity and how you view about how you view the Jewish faith in its entirety, but also answering the question, what does it mean to to you? And Mm -hmm. that in and of itself is a journey that every Jewish teenager goes through. And whether or not they want to accept their faith or and their uh, their inherent culture, that's completely up to them. And that's where you get a lot of different sects of Judaism. I see. Did you find? Did you find that when you were going? Because you said you went five years in a row. Uh, did you find that that was? Well, I guess I guess maybe the better question is like, what did you take away from it? Like by the time that you had stopped going. Uh, more importantly, about your own identity. Um, I stopped going because I grew out. Of, I grew out of the program. Uh, right. But at the end of the day, it was a place of home. Wherever I went and wherever I could find a group of people who want to change the world and to make the world a more loving place, that is always going to be home for me. And to, to think about it in the lens of 
the Jewish faith or thinking about it, thinking about it from this is how I want to impact the world. That's where I want to be. Because when I was at camp, I was making a better impact on the world around me, whether that was being a role model for younger campers, whether that was um, physically improving the camp for future generations or in a in the Hebrew, Lador Vador from generation to generation, um, mm. or thinking about it of bringing my guitar to a, uh, a campfire to make that moment that much better and heal a wound that was existing in a social group. That's what I took away from it, that at the end of the day, I just want to be someone who heals the world because there's so much broken within it. Oh yeah, man. Uh, sure. We could go on for hours about that. Uh, <laughs> but I see that in you, man. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned this in a, in a few, a few episodes ago, but uh, you know, when we, you know, the, the big endeavor that I'll always like reference at some point that we all did, um, you know, that was something that I, I noticed in you and, and several others right away is that like, you guys didn't even have to think about it. Like you in particular already had ideas of plenty, like, Hey, here's how we can make this better. Here's how we can do this better. Uh, here's how we can help more people and reach more people. And like, you know, I kept thinking like, man, I barely know this dude. And yet here he is just throwing all these awesome ideas my way and trying to make this successful when we've spoken maybe like nine words on voice, you know, (laughs) I think, I think, you know, that, that is really is a testament to, to, you know, for, again, for the listeners, I know that this is like a stranger to you right now and you've been listening to me for a year now, but you know, like just, just know that I think by now you guys know that I uh, you know, I, I, I typically not, I don't like to align myself with people that I don't think are good for me or good for, you know, putting more good out into the world. And just, just, even if you just want to get to know him better, I mean, like just Ian's, Ian's good people. Uh, you know, he's, uh, somebody who makes me think like, boy, just when I think I've got it all figured out, there's a lot more I got to learn and, and do to improve my own self. Uh, so, um, so yeah, th- I mean, that, that, that definitely reflects. So that checks out. Um, I know, uh, I know that must have been been quite the hell of a journey for you, but um, if you don't mind me switching gears a little bit, something you brought up a few times earlier uh, that um, that we've talked about that I kind of wanted to get a little bit of perspective on is you mm-hmm. you said a few times now that somebody people always told you that people of Jewish faith often talk about the Holocaust too much, as if that wasn't like a huge piece of not only Jewish history but human history, um, you know. Uh, something that, that that still shocks me to this day. And if you wouldn't mind just elaborating just a little bit on, I know you said you didn't want to go into too much detail, people who deny that it even happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you kind of, as, as a man of a Jewish faith, could you kind of share your perspective a little bit on that? Maybe educate people who might not know, like I didn't about that. Yeah. Um, one third of the world's population either denies the Holocaust outright or said, or say that it, has been blown been blown out of out of proportion and when you say things like that you are erasing a lot of the huh you are erasing a lot of the memories you're you're erasing a lot of the history you're erasing a lot of the uh, validity of human lives that are not your own you know it wasn't always only Jewish people in the Holocaust. It was also get. It was also people of LGBTQ. It was uh, gypsies, 
or people from uh, south southeastern Europe. Um, uh, a lot of people um, who just went against this idea of the superior Aryan race. So when you say things like the Holocaust didn't exist, it's like saying the British people didn't come over to America and release a whole bunch of bioweapons against the Native Americans. Yeah. My yeah. God. You're you're basically saying things like um the Armenian genocide didn't exist. You're saying mm-hmm. things like um uh ancient Egyptians didn't enslave a whole bunch of Hebrew people the almost the entire Hebrew population. You're saying things like the Spanish didn't uh, conquer South uh, the Incan and Mayan empires. You're denying a lot of history, and you're denying a lot of you're de- denying a lot of hurt, and you're invalidating a lot of someone else's ancestry. My great-grandparents, they got out of Poland two years before it was invaded. And my great-grandmother my great-grandmother, was an orphan. She would have been one of the first to die. If she didn't escape with my great-grandfather, I wouldn't be here right now. True story. Jewish people will say six million is the largest number. Because think of all the generations that have died and all the parents that have never become. Think of all the children that would that have never become because of those six million. When we're saying that the Holocaust happened, we're saying so many people of our kin are dead because of it. Yep. Generations have been destroyed. Some completely wiped out of existence. Mm-hmm. yeah like that's that's and like what, what's amazing to me is like i mean gosh i'll never forget like one of the things that when i was paying attention in uh history class in seventh grade uh that i'll never forget like the the one subject that i really glued myself to was when our teachers would show us videos um of like what like cleanup looked like and concentration camps after people were brought out of the gas chambers and there were just piles of people, like of bodies, in this big, this massive hole. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, just like the first, like I mean, and I remember it just because, like, I didn't pay enough attention in social studies class as a kid. I'm surprised I even passed it. But like that time was like, like any time, like when you said that to me the other day, and as you said it now, that people, uh, one third, which is like freaking mind-boggling to me. Uh, don't believe that this happened or that it's not that big of a deal. I saw that. And like, I remember as just like, I don't know how old it was like 12 or 13 or whatever as a 13 year old looking at that being like, Holy crap. Like I've never even thought of anything so evil. And like any show I've ever seen, any monster I've ever witnessed, any, any book I've ever read. And I'm thinking like, I've never seen anything so damn scary in my life, you know? And I remember asking my teacher uh, after the class, if that was real or if that was like a dramatic reenactment. And they were like, he said, it's real footage that people got, like that people took from these old timey cameras back then of like what that looked like and old photographs and things. And, you know, I remember just being like, 
I, I didn't believe him for a really long time. I just thought like, well, this is just, he's trying to scare us, you know? This is just trying to scare kids into being good kids or something. Like, I mean, I don't know why I went into denial about this. You know, maybe that's why, I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of is like why people might think this is like that. And it doesn't justify it at all. But like, just as you say that, like it, like it just makes me so mad because like a, I just witnessed like two or three minutes of a video and I was offended, you mm-hmm. know, like I can't imagine what that's like as someone, you know, who grew up as a Jewish man and, and, and tries to spread that awareness to people that what that would feel like, you know, mm-hmm. to have somebody say that to your face as people have seen people said that to you. Yeah. Yeah. Are you it, serious? Mm-hmm. Holy crap. Like, it's, it's, that's amazing to me. It's invalidating. It makes you feel like you're like you are not a person. Jesus. Oh, man, that disgusts me. Man. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that is, you know, uh, absolutely. I mean, could you, you used the, the, the term cultural erasure the other day to me that I thought was a very pertinent, uh, very prominent word in your in, in, in the conversation. Um, that people just kind of want to, that they, there's a lot of stories that are never told and a lot of facts that are never brought up. And, you know, as we see, even in modern day America, people deny things that they see right in front of them, you know, and Mm -hmm. as you were saying that people denied, I was like, I saw it. Like, I mean, we saw footage, real footage. Like I was, I was looking at it. Like, how do you, how do you deny something like that? You know, smoke and mirrors, moon landing wasn't real. Like, what is this (laughs) kind of bullshit talk that people have? You know, like, do you know, do you know anything like where that comes from or what, what that's about? Like why people think that? I think it comes from the idea that they don't want to believe that it happened. They don't want to believe that people can be that evil when in actuality, there's so much evil rooted in, in not, wow, I almost said American history, but that's also very true. Uh, there's so much (laughs) evil rooted in human history that we do not that we're not educated on that a lot of uh, education systems cover up with with you know with uh, sugar coated stories. Um, and kind of it's kind of like um, the Disneyfied version of history because Disney took a lot of Grimm's fairy tales and turned it into something that's more palatable for the for the younger audience. And Ugh, if you yep. look at Grimm's fairy tales, those are incredibly bloody. They're incredibly violent and they're incredibly not suited for kids. And usually not a lot of happy endings either. <laughs> no, no. But I think the, I think a lot of the Western European influenced, in lack of a better term, <laughs> white education, Christian yeah. white ed- education comes down to this fact of, we we won when in actuality when they won it means other people lost and we don't get to hear that side Mm -hmm. or if we do hear that side we want we don't want to accept it we don't want to acknowledge it and if we do it makes us scared and makes us guilty of our ancestors and that is completely okay as long as you recognize it and say, yeah, they fucked up, or they screwed up. I don't know if cursing is allowed on your show. Yeah, I swear all the fucking time, man. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they fucked up. How can we do better? How can we educate right. the next generation so that at the end of the day, 
we can live in a more acceptable accepting society. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a product of, of that. Uh, you know, I, uh, you know, like, I mean, I know we had a conversation outside of the show uh, with everyone from the cares a lot network recently about some struggles I was having, but like something that I still feel is this like this immense guilt partially, which I can't help. is just the way that I was brought up educated. You know, I came from a really, really small school and I, I don't blame the school entirely because the district itself is also, uh, you know, it's kind of a backwater area, but like, I mean, just education in general, I think there's a lot of stories that we aren't told and we're just kind of told the stories of American triumph and, you know, what America did to succeed and how we established everything and America is a great place and we're a melting pot and all these things like that. And in reality, like from my perspective now as a, as a 32 year old man in 2020, as, as 2021 rears its head, I keep thinking to myself, that like, yeah, we're a melting pot, but it doesn't seem there's a lot of people that are proud of it, you know, and that stinks. That sucks out loud, I think. Um, One thing that kind of adding into that idea is that, yes, we're a melting pot, but it feels like a lot of cultures um, are diluted to be accepted within that pot. Yeah. Wow. That's a good way to put it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I imagine that a lot of things, whether whether it was forced upon them or people had to do it just to adapt, I mean, one way or the other, like, it definitely seems like it's, even though they say, oh, we bring your tired, bring your sick, bring your poor, all these other things, but they're like, yeah, but we're going <laughs> to, we're going to make you remember all those things about you, you know, <laughs> once you, once you get here, uh, we're going to try to erase the parts that maybe we don't like that maybe scares everyone else, uh, you know, mm-hmm. gosh, it really, it really does put a put a bad bad taste in your mouth uh even for me i mean i can't imagine outside of my own self right now like what what that feels like um uh that's that's absolutely not so like what has that done uh to kind of like we mentioned kind of like how how those how those things have been diluted and everything uh but i kind of want to redirect back to you uh personally uh you know uh because really that's the perspective we have uh (laughs) and um what is that what is, I don't really know how to ask this question. Like, so I kind of want to transition to you in particular. And I think this is a good way to do it. Uh, we were talking about like, like what this was like for you growing up and kind of your, your perspective on how things are moving or maybe not moving forward. I don't really know um, in certain <laughs> areas of the country and the world. Uh, what has that done for, what's something that you'd want people to know about? Like, I mean, I kind of want to jump around a bit in the questions that I sent you. Yeah. Like we talked about social and mental health causes. Like what can we do better or what, what should we look into? Or do you have any idea of like how we can just better, either better educa- educate ourselves or to educate others or to help others? Like what, what's something we can do? I mean, do you have any ideas for like Jewish people or like, I mean, any, any, or- social mental health youth i mean anything you can think of like based on what you've told me so far i mean what's something that you care a lot about that you wish more people would care more about and 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 look more into oh man um (laughs) this is kind of related to another topic entirely but Mm -hmm. uh i'm not going to go into too much history of it but i think there is a direct correlation um between the effect and the expectations of academia and the arts 
on those with with mental health problems. And I don't think it's talked about enough. I don't think it's talked about enough in the artistic space of how much uh, how much is expected and how little is received um, from artistic mediums that that kind of mindset affects so much wanting to go into those fields mm-hmm. and it usually ends up with imposter syndrome it usually ends up with immense depression it usually ends up with a very false sense of security um and there's not a lot of or not really or not any a lot not a lot of good ones uh mental health support programs within higher education yeah, within within higher education, so college, mm. grad school, even some high schools, there's not a lot of student support. You mentioned you mentioned the arts too, and something that uh, I apologize for neglecting to mention is that uh, you you actually come from a musical study background, uh, one that I couldn't begin to understand. If you wanted to kind of <laughs> bring that in a little bit, because I don't correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like maybe you could have used some of that support then too. Boy, where can I begin? Uh, <laughs> I was uh, when I was going through uh, the questions for uh, for today. Uh, I was going through my whole musical background, and oh boy, there's a lot to talk about. Um, yeah, sure, hit it, man. But I think I'll hit the uh, the major points. I went to an arts high school. I did not go to a normal high school. We did not have a football team. We did not have a tennis team. We did not have a marching band. The closest thing we had to a competitive sport was ballroom dancing. Uh, Yeah, there was a competitive ballroom dancing team. I think you would have loved it. Oh, man. Right on. (laughs) Um, But I went to school from 8.15 in the morning until 4.50 at night. Um, And that was... Monday through Thursday, Friday, we got off at 2.15. Uh, but usually those days I had extracurriculars like playing in a pit orchestra or, or uh, uh, a youth ensemble or something like that. Um, but I went to an arts high school spe- specifically to play oboe. That was my main instrument from middle school, high school, and college. Uh, now, when I got there, I was in the symphony orchestra uh, which is the top tier orchestra. We got to play it in the opera house uh, in Sydney. That was, that's a whole other story from another time. Um, but very early on the lack of one instrument kind of forced the hand of the staff to ask those in similar instruments to switch over. And that was when a lot of the mental health, my mental health problems were revolving around music started where I wanted to do one thing and I went to school for this one thing, but the institution twisted it into something else. They wanted, they expected something else of me. And I am a very stubborn person, Adam. I don't know if you know this. Um, uh, you know, I've gotten a little bit of edge of it, but not <laughs> enough that I thought it was like a problem, you know? Um, <laughs> So you combine that with, with teenage angst and you combine that with this artistic individualism that I kind of garnered. Um, there was a lot of pushback. Uh, and I guess the lack of communication between the two sides, it really was, it resulted in oh, me feeling like I, I wasn't worthy, that I had to conform to what they want, to what people wanted. 
in order to progress and to get better in their eyes. So I relented time and time again, whether that was switching to bassoon, whether that was um, being the on- one of the only oboists at my college, um, but I didn't go to school for performance and they expected me to perform all the time um, more so than write music or, you know, capitalize my time with that kind of practice rather than me devoting it to score study and uh, composition. So it's been this constant uh, war with, or it was this constant war of myself and my goals and my dreams and what I had to do to even maintain my a scholarship or a place or even a or be an air of recon, recognition within the eyes of those who matter if that makes sense i mean it sounds to me like you mentioned imposter syndrome earlier i felt like that that's a sneaky devil that could sneak in anywhere in that conversation or in that 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 world that you just described oh yeah oh uh, yeah uh, yeah, that sounds like a slippery slope for sure. Uh, and was that all through college that you felt that way? Like after you left this art school um, in high school, uh, I mean, did anything, did you find that anything started to swing upward for you when it, when got, it came to performance? It got worse. Um, it got worse. It got worse. Um, I won't go into, into too much detail, but uh, in because I don't want to badmouth the uh the place of higher learning or the teachers that I went to, because I do value, I did value, I do value my education that I received. Um, I think my professors did the best and tried to work with me as much as they, as they could, that, that was required of them. And I completely understand at the, the point from where they were, from where they were looking at it. Uh, and I did have some fantastic professors. Some I still keep into contact with this, with this day but there was a lot of pinballing i i like to think i I like to think of myself as a uh, as a pinball machine at that time and i was the pinball and the expectations and the ensembles and the classes were all of the paddles right Uh, so there was that in combination with, you know, not having a lot of friends in high school and not feeling like I belonged and attaching myself a lot too much to the social scene. Um, and that was a bad series, series of events. That was a, because of, I felt like because of that disconnect and because of those difference of expectations that I was just at the end of the day, I was angry with myself a lot. Were you angry because you were trying to feed into the expectation? Because or? I was torn in too many different directions, and there, I couldn't. I felt like I couldn't live up to my oboe teacher's expectations, and live up to my composition teacher's expectations, and live up to that of my wind ensemble director and my music history professor. It was so much. It's at so many different points where, even if I practiced for my lessons. I would sacrifice my score study and not have uh, enough to say during 
composition class or if I spent too much time at the piano to write um, a piece, I would sacrifice my time practicing so that reflected in wind ensemble so that reflected in wind ensemble and I was like you know like first oboe in senior year and you know all the solos and all the all the hard runs and I don't know like a lot of that time was spent balancing time and balancing expectations and trying to convince myself that I was enough and at the end of the day I did not feel like I was enough and it was communicated by the people that matter, the people in in power that, yeah, I wasn't enough. And at the time, that was the most devastating thing in the world. And that's what led me eventually to where I am today. Do I regret it? No. Do I think about it every single day and how it forged my relationship with music and the arts? Definitely. And now I can't enjoy listening to music anymore because all I think of those ex- expectations that I had for myself and that, that institutions had for me growing up and developing my musical ear and developing my artistic sense of self. I mean, if I remember correctly, I, 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 if you told me, if I remember hearing you say this correctly, I think you said even not just listening to music, but playing it for fun yeah. Yeah. Is, <laughs> has become a, a chore for you. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Uh, you know, and that is, you know, that's, and so, so kind of you kind of what, what, what launched that string of thought was we, you mentioned that you wish that there was more support for people just in general across academia who may be having struggles like that. Um, and, um, do you, I mean, I know it's been a little while since you, uh, a little bit since you've been out of school. Um, but, uh, I mean, are there places you can think of that people can go to? Like, are, are there support groups for stuff like this? Or like how, I mean, I know I'm kind of putting a lot in your direction, but like, do you, have you ever thought about what ideas could be put into motion that would make somebody not have to suffer the way that you did? Or, you know what I mean? I mean, I think when it comes to student support, student mental health support, the best thing that I think institutions can do is look at things, look at, student mental health as a point of it kind of the best word best way to say this uh think of it as a point of concern that it's just as important as physical health if someone if someone can't go to to a class because they are uh you know sick with the flu or with a fever that should be just as important as a student going through a panic attack. Oh you yeah, know, most definitely. We a lot of, I think a lot of artistic mediums, and I think this re- is reflected in high, in academia as well, is that you have to push through, or it's a grind, or yes, it's hard, or this is what I went through, so you have to go through it too. No, that's a terrible way of going forward. Right. Yeah. Just because you suffer doesn't mean somebody else has to suffer. I mean, if anything, you'd think you'd want to motivate to not have them have to deal with what you had to deal with. Right. Right. And it's, it's ridiculous. And the fact that a lot of universities nowadays are almost requiring high school students to overcommit themselves in high schools to get them ready for college. And that has affected their mental health going forward. That's ridiculous. That is yeah. ridiculous. And 
not not everyone has that mental fortitude and a lot of people are and a lot of gen I, I feel like a lot of the younger generation is developing mental health problems because of it it's because of these expectations that i had to suffer so you have to suffer too that right. is that's not the way that we go forward that's not the way that we make a healthier society yeah plus plus socially uh i mean just from watching my nieces uh you know one of them i have one that's nine and ten i mean i have a lot of them but the two oldest ones are nine or no ten and eleven now and you know they can have cell phones when they go to school and and even just you know being nine and ten year olds and tens and eleven year olds like socially things are are so different in in Mm -hmm. even middle school right now that you know on on top of the fact like hey you pretty much have to go work a whole like like an eight hour work day um at school uh, and then like have all these expectations and how things are supposed to be. And plus the teachers are under duress because well, a lot of the teachers in standard school, I don't know much about art schools, but uh, in standard schools run a duress because they're, the students have to perform a certain way or they have to get certain test scores so they can even get any kind of funding and, and, and better supplies for the next year and things like that. I mean, like that's a vicious cycle that just gets projected onto kids who just, you know, whether they're in middle school or high school about to go to college, I mean, like they haven't even worked yet. You know, some of them mm-hmm. haven't even had a job yet and they're having to sacrifice their own sanity and sleep just to pull ahead. I mean, no wonder depression's at an all time high and, you know, gosh, suicide rates are just scarily still high. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that's like, the, the, I mean, you're right. Things do, things do have to change uh, with that. And um, I mean, for what it's worth, I mean, I, I mean, I'm very glad that you, I mean, I hate to use the same term that you you used, but like you said, power through. I'm glad that you were able to find the strength to do that or to find a find a way to swim through that muck because I mean, gosh, now that I've gotten to know you yet, I can't imagine <laughs> having you around, man. <laughs> you know, so I mean, for, for for what it's worth, like, I mean, that takes a lot of fortitude to get through that and still be able to talk about it. So, you know, kudos to you, sir, on that. For real. Thank you. Thank you uh that is huge um did you i'm sorry did you want to add more to to that i kind of took over your piece there no um i mean i think student mental health in any way shape or form at any uh age age bracket middle high school um college grad school is something that we don't talk about and we don't talk about or and if we do i don't think we talk about it enough and i don't think we're doing enough yeah, I mean, I think if uh, something to add to that, like, I think that, like, I remember kids, you know, and in high school, I, w- I was a bit of an outspoken guy, but like something that I used to not understand was people were like, I don't want to go to gym. I don't want to go to phys ed, you know, mm-hmm. and I used to think like, man, that's like the escape from school. Like, why would you not want to go to phys ed? But looking back, I mean, there was a lot of reasons people don't want to go to phys ed, but I kept thinking like, if you're going to force us to go to a physical education class in gym. And again, a lot of people like it just because they don't have to sit and they can throw balls at each other and stuff. But like, you know, like if, if you're going to make us have to have a physical education class, I think there needs to be more mental education classes. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. I think like the guidance counselors or, or, or specified teachers should be there to say, hey, just so you know, these things are normal. Not just like, I mean, sex ed classes are important too. But I think outside of that, like, hey, listen, you know, for the, for the, for the people who may be going through, especially puberty. Oh my God, that was horrible for me. For, as it was for a lot of people, you know, feelings I was having and, and, and struggles I was having and things at home. Gosh, I could tell you. I mean, I have told stories on the show about struggles I had at home that, God, I wish I knew who to talk to about that kind of thing. And if, if I, what I was feeling was normal, 
mm-hmm. would have been nice to know that like a teacher is talking to you and saying, hey, like, you know, some people may be going through stuff like this instead of waiting for the next like public assembly that we have in the auditorium, like in March, you know, like, why are we not talking about this every day? Mm-hmm. You know, like, why is that not something that people bring up? Uh, probably because parents would freak the hell out, but whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are so many tab. There are so many subjects within American society that have become taboo that have are rearing its, for lack of a better term, ugly head nowadays um, because we have the vehicles to talk about it on a daily basis and yeah. we are forming these small um, pockets of online communities where we can talk about it that a lot of older generational or older people like you and I um, who didn't have that didn't have that support growing up it's well awesome we have these things now but where were they where where were they when we were younger and I'm curious if schools nowadays, how schools are, nowadays are handling it because of quarantine, like or right. like alongside um, quarantine, you know? Yeah, I mean, I I would argue that you know, like these these pockets do exist and these these communities do exist, but I mean, I I wonder if there's any awareness made of that in these schools, especially now. Like, I mean, are there support groups? I mean, I know. There are some for parents, which which is good, by the way, because I've seen what that's like. And, you know, I, I realize that you know, not to get too too topical with quarantine, but like, I mean, some people are just mad because they can't because they have to pay attention to their kids more. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but there are some that do have a real struggle, like I got to go to work. How can I do this? And I hope that mm-hmm. this whole thing makes people appreciate what s- schools do have to go through and what teachers have to go through with 30 of those at once, you know, at a time in a class. But like, I do wonder if there is, whether it's now or even what what will be post quarantine or post pandemic, um, will there be some sort of like awareness brought like, Hey, look, you're all used to being online. You're all used to being on your phones and your computers. You know, here's a forum you can go into if you want to post to like a teacher or the guidance counselor or something to say like because for me like even now as a 32 year old guy who's getting more comfortable with like newer technology like i'm embarrassed to admit that i'm a bit of a schluber with some of it that (laughs) like i don't still don't know where to go to look for some of these communities and i still don't know even with access to all this information i like to think of it as like like a sandbox video game where like they just let you do whatever you want sometimes i don't know what to do with myself because there's so many things i can do Mm -hmm. and like 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 the I call it the burden of choice, which like I hate I hate the term, but it is true. It's a burden of choice. Like I have so many options now. I don't know what to do where like I wonder if there's a lot of these kids and these teenagers and these college kids that feel the same way. Like I know that it's out there, but I don't even know where to start. You know, Mm -hmm. where do I go? You know, I, I would hope that there's some integrations like that as time passes. Like, look, here are some more support groups. Here are some more places you can go and maybe destigmatize this idea that like, hey, it's bad that you need this. You know, like, hey, listen, and I think if they normalize that more, that people would feel less embarrassed to talk about it because I do find that even some like 18, 19 year olds that I know now still don't feel comfortable talking about the bad stuff they struggle with, you know, like or the or the or the 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 bad memories where, man, I want so badly just to reach to my computer and hug them and be like, listen, it's like just 
like it's fine to just say it you know shit there's nothing wrong with you which there's something wrong with the system that you grew up in right (laughs) and i think that there's a lot of uh almost like emotional propaganda like we say that it gets better but it only gets better because we don't talk about it and that it phases out when actual in actuality it just gets worse oh god yeah (laughs) it really really does you know which is why earlier i sincerely it's why i paid that compliment to you because like i mean i know everybody has their struggles and everything but like uh you know uh, the arts in general even as adults i have uh, friends and one very close friend who's in that medium and it is you know especially musical performances or acting uh i mean that there's a lot of pressure not only put on you from the outside but one that you can develop internally that you need to be better or modeling. Gosh, I had a friend I tried to talk out of being a model recently just because I'm so worried that they'll, you know, that, that any rejection they receive will crush them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, I mean, that, that that's tough just in general uh, to, to, to deal with. And you're right. Like there needs to be, you know, uh, and I, you know, and I think that's maybe something that maybe we can try to put more into effect, you know, just through, through our connections and things. Yeah, you know, raise some more awareness about. Um, that's that's crazy. Uh, man, God, I feel like we could talk about this for quite a minute. <laughs> I think we you, could. I think we could. You've awakened some feelings in me again. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, it's kind of like to cap like this section off. Like when when I didn't get into grad school for music, it really made me question my identity. Not only, not only like my musical identity, but like my entire identity. Because when I when I started music, I my family moved from uh, where we lived in Los Angeles to where we eventually did live, and mm-hmm. I that's when that's when I started music, and I kind of form and there was this identity formed around you know the fact that i played clarinet and then oboe and then bass and then guitar and then i started writing music uh and then i started singing um it became this thing of like ian's the music guy and then when you are told by institutions and academia that you're not the music guy anymore it's like well then who am i Hmm. because i'm obviously not someone who is good enough to be the music guy I'm definitely not someone who can who is able to form that 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 artistic identity anymore because you don't want it or you don't think I'm good enough. So what am I what am I to do? And that's why I think moving when when I moved from California to where I am now, I was able to re reform that identity for myself and i think that was the most that was the healthiest thing i could have done um it gave me a place to really escape and run away from this false identity like i was some sort of like artistic charlatan um and i don't think the people i don't think the people who know about it know about it and that's completely okay and that those who do know about it they don't talk to me anymore um but now that i've kind of formed a new identity around that of who i am as a person what i do value 
it's a healthier space. And I don't think that is talked about enough. And I don't think that's promoted enough around for younger students, for younger people, that you are not your interests, you are not your art, you are not the sport you play, you are not the uh, you're not the family that you attach yourself to, you are not your friends, you are your own person. Yeah, very well said. Uh, so, um, man, there's so much more that I want to talk to you about, but I feel like, I feel like I'm going to pick one more thing. And then I feel like we need to have a sequel Ian after this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> if you, if you, I'm, usually I ask at the end of the episode, but I'm just going to ask in the, in, in this particular portion, you know, uh, as, as we go towards the end of this particular episode, would you, would you kindly come back for another one? I would love to, I would love Great. to. And I've been saying would you kindly a lot because I just beat Bioshock and it's like burned into my brain. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm wondering if I can hypnotize people with it. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so um, I was kind of hoping maybe just to kind of bring things up a little bit. I don't know if this is like it. I always get worried when I ask this question because I don't know if it's insensitive or not, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Mm-hmm. It's on the list of questions. Uh, you know, because I'm fascinated, uh, I told you before and I shared with my audience, actually, they know that I have a very specific love for uh, my two Jewish students at my dance studio. Uh, mm-hmm. I bring them up a lot on this show uh, and they educate me a lot. Uh, they they tr- Well, they try because I'm very thick headed, but I'm trying to learn uh, about, you know, they share about what their holidays mean and, and fun phrases. They bought me a book of Yiddish. Oh, my God, I love it. I look at it at work all the time. <laughs> uh, it's so fun to learn. Uh, that's where I learned like some of the dirty words as well, because the guy always <laughs> drops some dirty words. <laughs> <towards me. laughs> Good. Good. Yeah. Schmeckle is one of my favorites. <laughs> I, I love that word so oh much. <laughs> Uh, and they're always so they always love when I put the extra extra phlegm on some of the words like I love saying Hanukkah. Um, you know, they love that. They're like, we love that you try. We love that you try. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 you know, I figured since uh, since I have you here, if you don't mind me asking, um, you know, are there any that you can think of any like whether it's Yiddish or, or Jewish concept or any ideas or 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 maybe uplifting things that you know that maybe, or even they don't really have to be uplifting, but just I always like to ask, is there anything you can share with the audience, maybe anything at all that you think might be fun for them to learn, maybe interest them to learn, uh, or even just something that, you know, maybe just some immature jerk like me can say like schmeckle, <laughs> you know, anything at all that you can think of that you'd like to share? Um, I'll give two, uh, if that's okay. okay. That's perfect. Um, so one is a concept. Uh, it's called Tikkun Olam. Uh, it means to repair the world. And uh, in it has uh, a social side of it. It also has a Kabbalistic or a spiritual side of it. Um, but I think for today we'll we'll focus on the uh, uh, the social side of it. So repairing the world in the sense of putting out what you want to see in it, and uh, repairing those broken fractures um, of. Pardon me of mm-hmm. instability. So there's a lot of uh, Jewish organizations who whose mission statement is tikkun olam, repairing the world. Just wanting to put out good into the world and hope, and hope that good will come back. Good will permeate outwards. Um, so that's one. The Did other one is tikkun olam? Tikkun olam. Um, tikkun olam. Yeah, so the Romanization would be T-I-K-K-U-N-O-L-A-M. 
Man, that was close. I was so close to spelling that right. Darn. And then uh, the second one is is a little bit harder to uh, to say and spell, um, but I'll provide the English translation and then uh, the Hebrew. Uh, okay. Comes from uh, the book of Leviticus, uh, uh, or in Hebrew, Vaikra, and it means "love thy neighbor as you love thyself." And the Hebrew is "veahafta lereacha kamocha." Um, the section of the Torah is where God is speaking to Moses and to, by extension, the Israelites of how to treat each other uh this entire chapter is about um how to love and how to uh treat each other equally and this phrase jumped out at me when i was reading through it the other day actually can you can you can you say the the translation one more time for the for for me and the listeners uh so the english is love thy neighbor as you love thyself okay and in hebrew it is Man, I'm going to have to see it written to give that one a shot, but I'd like to learn how to take it well. Um, right. I love stuff like that. Uh, uh, and I think something that, that pops out like that, uh, it, it, it does remind me of a phrase I've heard before, but I think something that's nice about that particular translation uh, is the love thyself part. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think, you know, I think that it's very easy to outwardly either treat others poorly or better than you treat yourself. Um, but I think ultimately, uh, I, I like that better. I mean, I've heard of like do unto others, but I feel like this is a much more poignant, especially nowadays mm-hmm. translation for that. I like that a lot. Um, so, uh, okay. Can you say it one more time? I'm going to give it a shot and see if I butcher it. All right. We'll do one word at a time. How does that sound? Yes. Oh yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll treat you like I, I'll treat you like I treated my, uh, uh, my preschoolers. I take it. I'll take it. Okay. They are hafta. They are hafta. Very good. La la reacha. La reacha. Very good. Kamocha. Kamocha. There you go. They are hafta la reacha kamocha. The reafta. Crap! They are they are hafta. They are hafta. La reacha. Lariaha Kamocha. Kamocha. Yeah. I'm gonna be able to say that all all in one go, one day, listeners, I promise. I'm gonna I'm gonna work on it. On the uh, on the uh sequel on the sequel interview, right? Yeah, on the sequel interview, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna nail it. I'm gonna freaking nail it. Um so uh do uh so be good to each other and be good actually it's kind of what i say at the end of the episode so i like that man i really wish i knew how to say it better right now (laughs) you know what i'm gonna actually have you do my sign off i think because usually at the end of the episodes i'll say you know take care of your mind take care of your heart and most importantly take care of each other um but i think for the first time and shares a lot history i think i'm gonna have you say that as the if you don't mind uh doing the sign off for the show uh here in a second i think um I think that's a pretty poignant place to place to wrap this puppy up. Um, so before we do that, would you like to share uh, with uh, the listeners where they can find you, Ian? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Ian underscore flat. Uh, if you are a musician, you know that will probably be a pun. Uh, you can find my show, Twitter, uh, um, The Mists Awakened at twitter.com slash The Mists. Wait, twitter.com. Twitter.com slash Miss Awaken and twitch.tv slash The Miss Awaken. 
All right, I forgot you had the main page. I'm just so used to seeing you talk on your main one. I'm sorry. Yep, my bad, guys. <laughs> <laughs> You're all good. My bad, guys. <laughs> You're all good. Um, or uh, where, was it? Was there another one on top of that one? The Twitch and the two Twitters. Uh, that is pretty much it. Okay. Uh, and I, as always, listeners, I'll throw those in the show notes, and uh, hopefully, uh, Ian, if you oblige me, uh, I'll uh, throw um like the the rough English uh um pronounced uh translations of um of the phrases that you shared with us also in the show notes so people can read them and maybe practice them the way that I'm going to. All right. Um so uh, that way you guys can see all that down in there. Uh and um but yeah, so before I let Ian do the first ever guest sign off, uh just want to say to the listeners uh as always if you made it this far uh i appreciate you i know that this you know my interviews always uh, go go about an hour and some change which you guys come to expect that i don't have to tell you that you know that i like to get to know people that's just my spirit um you know but uh definitely go follow ian uh he is a super super smart dude and really uh, thoughtful insightful as you, in case you haven't figured that out by now um it's there the proof is right there um so thank you so much for for sticking with us and hanging out with us and getting to know this man the way that I have. Um, and definitely look forward to a sequel. I think it'll be wonderful. Um, so um, with that, I turn it over to Ian. Uh, go ahead and give us uh, give us that sign-off, my friend. I just want to make sure I get this right. So take care of yourself, take care of your heart, take care of your mind, and take care of others. Uh, the, the, the original one is take care of your mind, take care of your heart, and most importantly, take care of each other. Uh, Take care of your mind, take care of your heart, and most importantly, take care of each other. <laughs>